Um, what you missed was that Liz and I were just telling each other that both of our stories are kind of broad overviews today, and we are um, low-key panicking about it, but it's fine. <laughs> it's going to uh, be good. It's great. It's perfect. It's wonderful. Uh-huh. <laughs> Liz is truly hanging on by a thread. I am. Mentally, <laughs> physically. So pray for her. Please. <laughs> I need it right now. <laughs> um, yesterday evening, some might say last night. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> uh, Chris and I got our groceries from a van <laughs> in a parking lot. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's actually a, a great thing. <laughs> our like, we found out there's like a local food delivery system it's like this underground type of thing where all the local farmers will like sell their stuff to people like directly and we were like hell yeah um but it looked real sketchy we pulled up for the our first time and we're like "Mm." (laughs) this is a woman and a man in a van like a white van with like a deep freezer in it. <laughs> we're like, hmm. <laughs> but we're like, whatever. We already paid for it. Or they have our credit card info already. So like the harm is already done. Um, and it was great. It turned out fantastic. That's so funny. That's a great scheme for kidnapping millennials, though. Is ah, we're mm. we're just local farmers selling oh, fresh local food. I tell you what, they would get me. <laughs> Hundred percent. I would have been Never gone be already. Again. You yep. would be a poster in your local Walmart. Well, you know, I've always <laughs> felt that I'm destined to join a cult. Yeah, I grew up in one, <laughs> the Catholic Church, and ever since um, deconstructing, I've really felt the <laughs> the void, <laughs> the cult void in my heart. So, like, really any day now. Anyway, welcome to Saints and Witches. I'm Sarah. I'm a heretic. I'm Liz, and I like to pretend that I'm still a witch, even though I do nothing associated with my practice. (laughs) Do you know what's funny is (laughs) all of the, like, um, big, like, astrological stuff going on lately, where it's like, oh, the blue supermoon and the blah, 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 blah. People on, like, TikTok and the lady that owns, like, the witchy store downtown will post things, like, leading up to it. They'll be like, here's what you can do, like, on the full moon and stuff. And then they always have a post the day after that's like, if you didn't do anything on the full moon, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Those posts are for me. (laughs) I know. Me too, because I'm always like, oh, it'd be cool to like, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what I would do. What, like dance around naked in the full moon or something? But like, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? The world is your oyster. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) I don't know. That's what they tell me. (laughs) I've never had an oyster, so I don't understand that expression. I've had clams. I haven't had oysters. I've never had clams either, but I love scallops and mussels. So I feel like this is my territory and I sh- I should enjoy them. But I don't know. I've never tried them. Bucket list. Yeah. 
Of course. Did you have them in Maine? Um, Florida. Oh, well, that'll work. Yeah. When I was Midwest younger. clams, though? A little hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to try. All our lake seafood. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, hopefully, like, I'd be fine with that. Like, Lake Michigan <laughs> clams, do they have them? I don't know. But, like, oh, we're in the dead center of the United States, and we're going to have, like, Alaskan crab. Like, I'll, yes. I'm actually going to pass. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I don't it's think we should be doing best. that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the crab doesn't want to be here. I don't want to be here. It's not good. Um. Anyway, should we start? Oh, um. This is a podcast. Probably should. This is the podcast where we tell each other stories about saints and witches. The end. Let's go. Um. I don't plan on telling a terribly long story today. Um. I researched what I could with the internet that I had. Um, and I'm praying that this, I put, I'm praying that this Zoom call doesn't drop and I'm going to add again to again. the end of that now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. A little behind the scenes moment. Yeah. Um, for our I'm listeners. struggling so hard. Um, so let's just get right into it with a Tumblr post you may or may not have heard of before. Okay. That reads, quote, In 1404, King Tejong fell from his horse during a hunting expedition. Embarrassed, looking to his left and right, he commanded, do not let the historian find out about this. Mm. To his disappointment, the historian accompanying the hunting party included these words in the annals in addition to a description of the king's fall. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Um. This post never fails to make me laugh. I've known about it for a really long time, but I've chosen to start with it because it's a good introduction into the family that I'm going to be talking about today and the source that the stories come from. Um, so the records that are being talked about are called the veritable records of the Joseon dynasty. Um, and they are, it's claimed, the longest running continual documentation of a single dynasty. They detailed the Joseon dynasty in Korea, its last dynasty, which ran from 1392 to 1897, or just over 500 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And the records themselves cover from 1392 to 1865, so like 30 years shy of the entire span of time. Wow. So it's a very, very long set of records. Yeah. Um, During this dynasty, you see the rise of Confucianism, the fall of Buddhism, as well as Korea steadily becoming more secluded from the world due to attacks and invasions from other countries like China and Japan. Um, But it's also a period of time where a lot of Korean culture was created and flourished alongside Korean technology. Um, And apparently millions of dollars in like two decades have been invested into translating the veritable records of the Joseon dynasty into English. Mm. Like um, I just saw this online. It said the project won't be complete anytime soon. The estimate I saw was like 2033. And this was something that already like they proposed this a decade ago. Mm. 
I mean, so, 20 years is not bad for like 500 years of history. 500 so. <laughs> years of history, yeah. But yeah, millions of dollars, so many people. I think it's really awesome. Um, that is cool. But these, yeah, these records are really unique in that uh, people, especially the royals, were not allowed to read what was being written about them by current historiographers. <laughs> um, and historiographers were not allowed to change anything that had already been written. So... Mm. Everything was held to, like, this standard of truth, like, by and large, to preserve, like, this ongoing, like, super honest account of the state of affairs in Korea, where, you know, politics couldn't stick its fingers in it and muddy it all up. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So, historiographers were, like, TMZ at this period of time. Like, they were sneaking into places that they shouldn't. (laughs) eavesdropping spying spilling all the deets that people did not want out um and it's very funny to imagine uh this but also like kudos to the sneaky little writers um i would absolutely watch a limited series about like all the hijinks that they got up to like sneaking through like air ducts and shit listening to people (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. in the warehouses because they had yeah, they totally had, like, this was uh, an official position. They had backing where, like, you you couldn't hurt them for anything that they said, because you shouldn't have known about it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a whole big to-do when one of the later kings of the Joseon dynasty decided to read these records. It got pissed off and executed some of the historiographers. Um, and that's one of the reasons that he was, like, known as a tyrant. Mm-hmm. And they they went about finding all of the spots in the records that he tried to, like, doctor or change and, like, take them out because they were so, like, committed to this pristine, like, truth. I tell you what, we need to get back to this. Yes, we do. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Um, I don't have much to say about King Tejong himself. He was the fifth son of his father, the king, and he and his brothers just, like, kept trying to kill the shit out of each other um, to get the crown, (laughs) like, straight up. And dad was capital, like, E exasperated with these boys because, like, he was still mourning his wife. Um, And so he straight up just abdicated. He was like, figure the fuck out. I'm leaving my oldest in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, But his eldest son ended up abdicating to to Zhang after that little rascal continued to cause a ruckus, um, defeating his father's fourth son in battle and then exiling the man. Like, he literally just went after one of his brothers, defeated him, exiled him, and his oldest brother was like, um, yeah, so you can be in charge now. (laughs) I don't want this. I don't want to catch this heat, man. I'm done. Wait, so the guy who's, like, doing all this crazy stuff is the guy who fell off the horse, right? Um, yes. Okay, got the, it. The guy who fucked over his brothers and got himself put in powers. The guy who's like, don't let this historiographer find out I fell off my horse. Got it, okay. No, it's all coming together <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very funny. It is funny. Um... Let's see. A more central figure to our story is Tejong's third son, who he names crown prince over his first two sons because he likes this third son, Sejong, the best and thought he had the best aptitude for ruling. Like at one point he named his first son crown prince and then he's like, 
no, I'm not feeling it. And he took it back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's like, you're just not serious enough. You indulge in too many pleasures. You're too whimsical. And I snatched the title back and I gave mm. it to my third son goodbye. It would be wow. so embarrassing. <laughs> but maybe he was so whimsical. He was like, okay. <laughs> whatever have fun right i'll be frolicking um so this son this third son who got promoted over his brothers um king sejong rises to power in 1418 at the age of 21 technically um his dad advocates to him at that period of time but he continues to be like the actual king behind the curtain until 1422 so it's like he's in charge he's king now everybody but not actually right it's me (laughs) behind the curtain (laughs) did you forget um king sejong has a pretty good uh rap in korean history as far as i can tell and his biography is largely positive as far as i ran into it um you do see him doing things like singling out and suppressing buddhists and buddhism um which i find terribly funny because his older brother's son number two not the whimsical one but the other one um he became a buddhist when he didn't get to be crowned prince mm. and so sejong becomes king and he's like immediately no <laughs> no stop it <laughs> this law is specifically for my that. brother <laughs> real targeted um, I really wish I could have sat in on those family dinners. Not only the third son getting to be in charge, but suppressing Buddhism mm-hmm. right after his brother becomes a monk. Right. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> something. Um, but Sejong does a lot during his reign. He implements a currency system instead of the barter system that they had. He refines the military and backs weaponry advancements. He creates something called the Hall of Worthies to conduct scientific research and churn out technology, which was really neat. Um, mm. And they came up with like the, the rain gauge. Oh, cool. Um, he read the calendar. I didn't read a lot about this, but something about making like Korea central so that like the lunar and solar eclipses and stuff like actually matched up to when they were supposed to in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um. He also just sort of threw his weight behind the common people, from what I can tell. He disseminated a farmer's handbook, including, like, different cultivation techniques from across the region so that farmers would just have this wealth of knowledge. Nice. He allowed farmers to pay taxes based on, like, their crop fluctuations. So it wasn't, like, a standard amount. Like, better years it was more, worse years it was less. Mm -hmm. uh, So that he wasn't absolutely murdering the people supporting society. Uh, he yeah. gave slave women and men maternity and paternity leave. Hmm. It was like that seems rare. Yeah, like a hundred days for women and like thirty days for men or something like that, which is way more than like you get in the United States. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> like when is this fifteenth century? <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Not to be jealous of slave men and women in Korea. <laughs> slave men and women in medieval Korea. I'm gonna throw up and cry. <laughs> no. Um, uh, um, a big thing he did that he saw um, is Korea didn't have its own writing system at this time. Um, it's hard to explain, but 
Korea was using Chinese script, except it didn't really work for Korean because of the differences between their languages. Like you, you had to force it to work and you only mm. knew how to do it with a lot of schooling making the written language in Korea, like, super privileged by class and inaccessible to the common folk. Because, like, you had to go to school to know how to use Chinese I script. think that you Korean. just explained something that I couldn't figure out in my own research. So thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so Sejong, either himself or by way of his follow for these, the records um, differ on that he created Hangul, which is heavily tied to phonetics themselves. Mm-hmm. I didn't look too much into it. Um, I just know that, like, the characters, everything that they represent is, like, super heavily tied to phonetics so that it is super fast to learn it and super easy to learn. That's cool. Um, like, you can learn it in, like, a matter of hours or days, like this alphabet, or learn how to pronounce um korean words with it like it's just super great Mm -hmm. um but the nobles were pissed as fuck about the invention of this script because it made everything available to lower class the common people um and they had every derogatory word in the book for it they called it vulgar script women's script children's script um and it was outlawed for a whole ass period of time which was really wild yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised though. This is like when they translated the Bible yeah. into common languages, and the church was like, "I'm gonna kill myself." Yes, I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean I can't tell them what it says so they can't interpret it on their own? <laughs> exactly, that was exactly right. Oh, anyway, so I won't. I won't get too deep into Sejong's biography. This man, though, this motherfucker has so many kids, dude. Like so fucking many. He's got. <laughs> Like, 11 consorts, and between them, he's got, like, 18 sons and 7 daughters, if I Mm-mm. counted correctly. Mm-mm. And can you imagine having 17 brothers? No. I can barely stand having two. I can't even imagine having one. They're a lot. I can't, it's yeah. WWE in the house all day long. <laughs> 17 of them. <laughs> <laughs> How did they survive? Just out of all adolescence, how did they not kill each other? On all accident? the lamps in the house broken. Every <laughs> single lamp broken. All the curtains oh broken. God. Yeah, they were hashtag boy moms, like to <laughs> the furthest extent. Pass. Yes. Um, his wife, Queen. I'm gonna say Sohan. Um, I didn't have a pronunciation for some of these, and I'm doing my best. Mm-hmm. Um, she gave birth to 10 of these kids, including Sejong's first son, Moonjong, um, who is named Crown Prince. So unlike his father and grandfather, who were not the first sons, and they just got like arbitrarily like chosen to lead, he's his first son and Crown Prince. Okay. Sejong is like, I'm correcting this disaster of the last couple of generations. Yeah, I mean, the wishy-washy thing of, like, you can do it. No, maybe you can do it. Like, that is just not good. He he had him, and he sent him off to, like, the, I think it was the Hall of Worthies to be, like, educated. He's like, I'm investing all of my time and energy into you. You shall get the throne when I die. Mm-hmm. So, 
Moonjong. He's the longest serving crown prince in Joseon history, holding the title for uh, 29 years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he's more or less the star in this solar system of characters that everyone is going to orbit. A quick note that people have more than one name. I've been using everybody's posthumous names up to this point, mostly because this is one family and it helps keep them distinct while I'm talking, which still is hard because the names are still similar, but mm-hmm. uh, they're like family names are like a Thorman, Thorbald, Thoragood situation also. Mm, so yeah. they're just similar enough to like English ears that on a first pass, it would be very confusing. Right. So Moonjong, despite him being our quote unquote central figure, there's nothing super outstanding about him in comparison to his dad who created like Kongul and the currency system and all of that fun stuff. Um, which comes to our story by way of Moonjong's first wife, Lady Kim, sometimes spelled with a K, sometimes a G. I don't know why. I don't know if a G is pronounced like a K, and that's why it's sometimes one, sometimes the other. I don't know. It's I tell you. Mm-hmm. But Lady Kim is selected by King Sejong for his son, while Sejong is still king. Um... Lady Kim and Moonjong marry in 1427 while Moonjong is still crown prince, but this marriage isn't particularly happy. Like in any way, it's it's an arranged marriage. They, mm-hmm. they didn't want this; it just got set up. Um, and Lady Kim is super insecure, mostly about herself and her position, uh, because her husband really doesn't talk to her or want much to do with her. Because this is just set up, and he also has concubines on top of that. Of course. Yes. Um, I don't think it's super unreasonable for her to be insecure. I've read enough to see the arguments to consorts of, you should be happy, your husband has so many women, you should be happy they're pregnant, your husband's position is so secure now. Um, but I am at heart a jealous bitch. Um mm. Okay, I I am straight up Lady Kip. All I would be thinking about all the time is my husband is fucking these other girls and not paying attention to me. Yep, 100%. Me too. I mean, people who can do like polyamory, like successfully, I'm like, that seems nice. Like more people, you know, there's like more outlets of communication and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. could absolutely never be me. I would die I before I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I and need you to be it. obsessed with me and only me forever. Yes. 100%. Which is 100% normal and healthy to expect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh-huh. Anyway, if I was in this situation, I would set the whole world on fire and then myself, mm-hmm. probably. Um, that's who I am as a person. I would set the <laughs> Scorpio. <laughs> so I can I can understand why Lady Kim one day asks her maid, I'm gonna say Hocho, um, how she can prevail over her husband's of other love interests and get her husband's attention on her finally, since he wants like fuck all to do with her. Mm-hmm. Hocho tells her to steal her rival's shoes, cut them into pieces, 
burn them, grind the ashes, and mix them into Moonjong's drinks. Um, the whole recipe. One of the sources said alcohol. Yeah, it's it's very involved. <laughs> She's like writing a blog, like a recipe blog. She's like, the other yes, day, I was looking at my shoes. <laughs> and I thought, you know what I could do with these old shoes that I don't really wear that much anymore? I could cut them up, burn them, grind them into a powder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continue. I'm done. Uh, but yeah, it is a whole like 12 step process. Um, and the point is it's supposed to make, um, the prince closer to Lady Kim and distance him from the owners of the shoes. Okay. Um, Lady Kim does this, but after a bit, she complains that it's like a super difficult process. She's like, man, I gotta, I gotta steal shoes. I gotta demolish them. I gotta somehow <laughs> get this motherfucker's drinks before he does them for any like made house <laughs> and chickens, what have you. Fucking sneak ashes into him. Lie to him about it. <laughs> Why is my drink so ashy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Leave the hell out of me. <laughs> Why is my drink so ashy? <laughs> <laughs> great question she's like do you have literally anything else that i could do other than this yeah and Hotra says absolutely there's this other thing that i've heard of um i want you to go steal quote the excretions of two snakes mating nope put it on a handkerchief and wear it every time you're around the prince oh my god okay arguably <laughs> worse point, i think she's being conked <laughs> she's having her do the most convoluted humiliating shit <laughs> oh, <Joe's> just bored <laughs> she's like you know why don't you uh, take off all your clothes go outside <laughs> climb a tree <laughs> it's like what down. in the world right this is reminding me of that childbirth episode <laughs> it was like smell something disgusting Put a lump of sugar by your vagina. Like, what is going on? Yeah. So the rest of the palace, including one maid in particular, notice just how weird Lady Kim is being. Um, presumably, she's sneaking into other people's rooms and stealing their, their shoes and probably has been caught doing that. Yeah. Um, she's sneaking around, setting shoes on fire, <laughs> cramming the ashes into the prince's drinks, however the hell she's getting a hold of them. Um, she's milking snakes. <laughs> <laughs> she's milking snakes. Enough said. She's just being bizarre. Um, they don't know what's going on, but they know it's something. Especially when that one maid in particular finds some of the shoes that Lady Kim stole. She's like, I'm not, not gonna say anything to anybody, but I do want to know why you're mm -hmm. carrying around the burnt up remnants of so-and-so's shoes uh, fair if you could elucidate that matter for me <laughs> uh -huh. fair question um when all of this weirdness makes its way back to king sejong um and lady kim is called before him to answer for it this maid does testify to finding the shoes and lady kim also just straight up confesses to like everything that she's been up to mm-hmm um, King Sejong is super disappointed to learn that she has used black magic on the prince because, you know, what if that magic is the reason she was selected as crown princess for the prince too? You know, how deep does mm. this 
treachery run, how far back does it go? How long has she been milking those snakes? (laughs) (laughs) How long has this been going on? Anyway. It's just a hobby. (laughs) Have you ever had fresh snake milk? Try it and then come talk to me. (laughs) Oh, God. Um... Anyway, he's fo- he's forced to depose Lady Kim, who's more popular, popularly called Deposed Consort Kim instead of Lady Kim, or the title she had as Crown Princess. She has, like, three different names. This is where I kind of get into the, like, they have a name, and then whenever they get, like, a Crown Princess or Crown Prince, they'll have a name. And if they're king, then they might have, like, a different name, even from that, or queen... Yeah. And when they were like a noble, like they'll end up having like three, four, five names. Mm-hmm. But yeah, her actions get her father demoted too, and her brother kicked out of whatever position that he has. And Hocho, it seems, is beheaded, though not every article I read mentions that. And it's kind of just a passing line where it does appear. Hmm. Um, but, you know, if she was just fucking around with Lady Kim, having a lot of fun, telling her some goofy nonsense, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for it. <laughs> wow. Um, for total funsies, though, the witchcraft train stops here. I do want to briefly tell the story of Moonjong's second disastrous marriage to one Lady Bong, mm-hmm. um, also selected by Daddy Dearest, who is apparently just absolute shit at selecting wives <laughs> for his son. Right, because it went so well last time. Yes, as soon as Lady Bong like secures that bag, she just reveals her true character. She makes no attempt to preserve like any decorum or follow the rules like anymore. Um, Sounds quote, like our kind of lady. Yeah, quote her temperament is of one who enjoys drinking and prepares the drinks in her room. She also likes drinking using big bowls one after another and getting drunk on top of that. There are times when she would force her female attendants to carry her on their backs and walk around her palace when she deems the alcohol insufficient she would personally go back to her parents residence just to bring back the drinks to her palace and drink it <laughs> she's so mean <laughs> i know i love her <laughs> i just love the image of her drunk as fuck on the back of like one of her maids like, like get me the maids are like i hate my life <laughs> how did i get here and you know they're wearing like 50 sets of fucking robes too like the heavy mm, ass fucking heavy. dress yeah all the so tassels they're like drowning underneath this drunk heavily clothed <laughs> woman it's just dead weight Digging their heels into the maid's sides, mm-hmm. spurs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Go> no! Faster. <laughs> she sounds like a hoot. Yeah, she is a hoot. She's a mess. Um, she spies on people through holes in the walls. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when another concert gets pregnant, she gets mad and lies and tells everybody that she's pregnant too, even though like she's very clearly not. Um, but her downfall is that when her husband wants nothing to do with her, she unfortunately singles out one of her own maids and forces the girl to lie with her like a man because mm. she's tired of being alone. Um, and personally, the tone implies the relationship was non-consensual, not like a star-crossed gay romance, but it's all coming Yikes. third party 
from outside these two women, and I have no idea what the recording historiographer, any of the people who wrote these more modern articles thought about two women being together. So I can't definitively claim anything. Right. It definitely reads as it is. Like Lady Bong just abused her power over this maid and forced her to essentially like be her husband. Oh no, that's not cool. No. Um, this maid does admit to Prince Moonjong when questioned that the rumors are true and she does sleep with Lady Bong. Um, and Lady Bong eventually becomes deposed consort Bong as a result of this scandal so he Mm -hmm. now has two deposed wives right time to take a look Um, in the mirror yeah um and they do have to issue a statement at one point of like we cannot control our household (laughs) (laughs) we're doing a very bad job psa (laughs) (laughs) for anyone who might be interested (laughs) to whom it may concern (laughs) (laughs) it's a shit show back here (laughs) more people should like people should feel more comfortable admitting that yes like hey just so you know i can't control my household if they had a facebook during this Uh i would love to read those posts marriage is work (laughs) (laughs) but it's worth it We've had ups and downs, highs and lows. Did my wife use black magic because I wasn't paying attention to her? Maybe. Maybe. Is my other (laughs) wife sleeping with another woman like her husband because I won't pay attention to her? Also, perhaps. Seems like it. Nothing's perfect. you know, trials and tribulations. (laughs) Married life. Hashtag married life. Um, Moonjong does marry a third time and he does have an heir who King Sejong tells his advisors to put their weight behind because like Sejong isn't long for this world anymore and Moonjong will likely likely not reign long either because he's older, he's of ill health. Um, Sejong dies in 1450 with Moonjong dying two years later so he only gets to actually be like in charge in charge for like two years. Um, Moonjong was the only chosen king to rule without a queen because his wife, this third one that he married, died two days after giving birth to their son and heir. Um, but she was posthumously honored as a queen, even though she didn't ever really get to be one. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Moonjong's younger brother is a total dickbag who's mad he didn't get the throne so he executes his teenage nephew the one whose mommy died two days after he was born um and supporters and dismantles the hall of worthies that king sejong put together um and is generally just i guess kind of a piece of shit who Mm -hmm. wants all the power for himself and restructure things to be that way but that is the story of king moonjong's unlucky love life i suppose um at the end <laughs> i think for me the highlight was the snake milking um snake i'm also a big fan i'm a fan of the drunk lady and maybe she was not so chill with the slave girl or the servant girl but also you know like i was reading this other story about um 
uh, this nun, this medieval nun, who I won't get too far into or say her name because I might want to talk about her on the podcast. But she had like a lesbian relationship with one of her. She was the abbess and one of her like nuns. They had like a sexual relationship, which again is an imbalance of power. But like, it seemed like maybe they were in love or like at least like liked each other. Like they both seemed, it seemed consensual, but like back then they didn't have a word for it or a conception of it. So like when she was being investigated, like none of the the church dudes b- even believed it was true for a long time because they were like that's impossible so like sometimes like older stuff like doesn't get it right when two women are having sex with each other because the men cannot comprehend it so like maybe like, that's what their, happened their little, their little brains are not wired that way <laughs> what are you right. talking about cuz they're cold and they're not hot, right? So, like, like that was their conception. They're like, oh, a woman needs, like, a man's touch to become, like, warm. Ugh, so <laughs> weird. Yeah. Yay. Yay! We love it. Gross. <laughs> Gross! Um, that was really funny. Good job. Thank you. I want to hear your story now. Okay, I'm actually going to talk about the same dynasty a little bit that you talked about yeah here i go so my story is more broad in general than usual i'm going to talk about the catholic church in korea mostly during the 19th century we'll start like late 18th and end early 20th i couldn't find much material earlier than that um korea was very insulated from missionary work um they were very like isolationist like you mentioned um and nothing really stuck until the late 18th century so like of course the jesuits showed up at one point but they didn't (laughs) like of course they were there but they didn't stay um it was like one or two guys and they were kicked out and really nothing much to speak of um In addition to a general overview, I also want to talk more specifically about two very important Korean Catholic dudes. One of them is Andrew Kim Taegon, the patron saint of Korea, and the other is An Jung-gun, who is a Korean national hero who was Catholic. So, let us begin... Catholicism came to Korea for good in the late 18th century via books written by Jesuit missionaries in China. Um, A lot of this is happening, like, sort of on the same timeline as what I talked about in our China episode with, like, the Boxer Rebellion. It's kind of like mirror images happening in Korea as far as, like, um, when things started to go bad. Uh, (laughs) um, and it was both kind of like Western influence that caused these like really scary downfalls. Um, so anyway, the Jesuits, those guys, again, those scoundrels, (laughs) (laughs) um, an interesting difference though, between Korea and other places that the church has colonized Um, was that because of the language that these books were written in, the ideas in them could only be accessed by Korean scholars, which is what you were talking about. And I was like, 
what the fuck does that mean when I was researching? But as you explained, <laughs> it was this, the language itself couldn't be read by everybody. So, um, so Catholicism first came to the educated class instead of the lowly people, which is not always how it happens in the colonization process. Um, and because the educated class received Catholicism first and there were no priests in the country, Catholicism was studied as if it were like a philosophy instead of a religion that people like dedicated their lives to. <laughs> so it was like very theoretical. It was like, oh, the idea of Jesus, like the idea of the Ten Commandments, like stuff like that. It wasn't like, like, I'm like going you put class. it in an English class. Exactly. It's like examine, discuss. Yeah. Um, so this happened in particular among a faction called the Namin, I think, or the Southerners, who used Catholicism as like a supplement to Neo-Confucianism instead of a replacement. Um, and Neo-Confucianism was the law of the land. It was like the state philosophy. Um I didn't get too far into what it actually is, but I do know that um, its teachings were very hierarchical. Um, there was a ruling class. There was a slave class. Um, this was still the Joseon dynasty. And so Christian ideas were threatening to this because they were more egalitarian, like everyone's equal in the eyes of God. Um, and the ruling class was like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> some of us are slaves and we are slaves for a reason. Um, and there was also just the fact that Christianity was foreign. It came from the West, which was very icky. Um, Korea, I think, was even called the Hermit Kingdom at one point. I think I read that, which is like how strict the borders were. So like anything Western is like very suspicious. So um, Catholics were persecuted pretty heavily for a long time in Korea, especially when actual priests arrived from China and Christianity became a religion instead of just a philosophy. So when people started like going to mass and like praying, like people were like, oh, no, no, like this cannot happen. Um, there was anti-Christian surveillance, um, obviously a ban on things like building churches and celebrating mass the obvious stuff. Um, there was also like social stigma and isolation, which we saw in the China episode two of like the missionaries would do this like horrible thing <laughs> where they would isolate people from their communities. They would like take them to the mission to be baptized and educated. And then they would like just turn them loose and none of their family and friends would want anything to do with them. And they would be super isolated and alone and in danger. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> but it is, I mean, that's cult tactics. And I mean, they're effective. So, and of course, there were arrests, there was torture, there was execution. Um, between 1791 and 1866, an estimated eight to 10,000 Korean Christians were killed. These were mostly Catholics, um, some Protestants, but mostly Catholics. In 1984, Pope John Paul II canonized 103 Korean martyrs. And we're going to talk about one of them today. Um, his name is Andrew Kim Taegon, and he was the first Korean-born priest and is now the patron saint of Korea. 
So this guy, Andrew is his baptismal name. Kim is the family name and Tagon was his given name. So sometimes his name will be spelled as Kim Tagon Andrew. Um, Same guy. He was born on August 21st, 1821 into the Yangban or gentry class. This class was mainly educated government officials or military officers, um, mostly like landed aristocrats who oversaw the government, which was still like agrarian at the time. They're like the farm bureaucracy. Um, Andrew's parents were Catholic. Their baptismal names were Ignatius and Ursula. His father, Ignatius, was executed for his faith in 1839. Before that, his great-grandfather had also been executed. So the family has been Catholic for as long as their religion has been in Korea, essentially. And they have not had good luck with it (laughs) too soon. (laughs) When Andrew was 15 years old, some French priests from the Paris Foreign Missions Society arrived in his village. One priest in particular, Father Mabant, chose him and two other boys as seminarians, and the boys were sent to a seminary in the Portuguese colony of Macau, which is on the southeastern coast of China. It took eight months of travel to get there. Not chill. Um, The boys were the first Korean seminarians there. They studied theology, Latin, geography, history, French, and much more. Um, while there, one of the priests wrote about Andrew, quote, Kim Taegon Andrew is active but precise, obedient but daring, and has strong willpower. He is a very promising young man. He is eloquent and his judgment is good, enabling him to solve problems quickly and easily, unquote. In 1842, Andrew left the seminary and became an interpreter on a French warship, he was actually present at the site, the signing of the Treaty of Nanking, which was the end of the First Opium War, which I talked about in the China episode. Um, after his interpreter work was done, Andrew was ordained a deacon in 1844 in China. He returned to Korea at this time, which was a big risk to take. Um, he didn't have to. <laughs> it was very dangerous for him to try to to go back to his home country, but he wanted to. Um, He arrived in January of 1845, and he did his best to keep a low profile because Christianity was obviously very much illegal still. He was ordained a priest on August 17th, 1845, becoming the first Korean priest. Um, After this, he returned to his hometown and spent his time teaching the Catholic community there in secret, mostly at night. In early 1846, he was summoned to Seoul to try to help the bishop bring more French missionaries into Korea from China, like a smuggling mission. Um, And in the course of this mission, he was arrested. I read that the king thought that it would be a bad idea to execute him because he was very knowledgeable and charismatic, Um, People liked him, even though he was, like, a dirty Catholic. So, like, it wouldn't be a good look. Um, But he was eventually sentenced to be executed because he was, like, a ringleader um, of this heresy and basically had committed treason. So there's no way around it. It's like, oh, all our hands are tied. Um, 
After his sentencing, Andrew wrote a letter to his followers and fellow Christians. Um, Part of the letter read, quote, Dear brethren, since the Catholic Church was introduced into Korea 50 or 60 years ago, our people have suffered many severe persecutions, and many Catholics, including myself, have been put in prison. How agonizing it is for us to suffer as one body, and how humanly sad it is for us to part. However, as the Holy Bible says, that our Lord even takes care of the hair on our heads, aren't these persecutions according to his providence? In this difficult time to be victorious, we must be steadfast using all of our strength and capabilities like brave soldiers fully armed in the battlefield. Be steadfast and let us meet in heaven. God will soon send you a much better pastor than I. So do not grieve, but practice greater charity and serve the Lord so that we may meet again in God's eternal mansion. Um, The military imagery in that letter... That's a surprise tool that will help us later. (laughs) (laughs) I love surprise tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the death sentence was carried out the very next day, September 16th, by the Han River in Seoul, where three French missionaries had been previously martyred. Just before he was beheaded, Andrew reportedly said, quote, This is my last hour of life. Listen to me attentively. If I have held communication with foreigners... It has been for my religion and my God. It is for him that I die. My immortal life is on the point of beginning. He was 26 years old. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, the persecution of Christians in Korea continued until 1866, um, which is not to say that everything was perfectly fine after 1866. Um, 1866 was the final major state-sponsored persecution where people were like rounded up and executed um but of course there was still a stigma that remained long after this um so now i would like to pivot and talk about one of korea's national heroes who was a catholic revolutionary um but first we need to briefly talk about japanese colonial rule in korea which officially lasted from 1910 to 1945 but began in the late 19th century, pretty much right where we just left off with Andrew. Um, This is like a very broad overview, but basically what happened was in the mid-1800s, Western countries forced Japan and China to open their borders to trade. Um, They were like forced out of their individual isolationist policies um, as we saw in China, this led to the very bloody Boxer Rebellion. Um, but in Japan, things went a very different direction. Um, the country, instead of like resisting so much, the country really modernized very quickly um, and became a colonizer itself. Um, it went to, it turned, <laughs> turned to the left. Them, them. <laughs> exactly, and started colonizing Korea. Um, because hurt people hurt people. Um, This colonization became more and more contentious as Japan increased its power and influence in Korea. So it's against this backdrop that Korean independence activist An Jung-gyun was born. I'm 100% not confident that I'm saying that name correctly. I saw like five different pronunciations, (laughs) so I've kind of cobbled them together. Um... 
Anne was born in 1879 in Heju. Like Andrew Kim, he was born into sort of a well-off family and received a good education. He learned Chinese literature and Western sciences, but he was more interested in physical stuff like martial arts. Um, he was he was smart, but he was he was like bored with studying. When An was 16 years old, he was fleeing from the Japanese, and I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I'm not sure if, like, literally soldiers with guns came to town, or if it was more like the Japanese colonial government, like, shut down his school. I'm not really sure. Um, What I do know is that he took refuge with a French Catholic priest named Wilhelm, who baptized him and hid him in his church for several months. Anne's baptismal baptismal name was Thomas. He learned French while in hiding. He's apparently very good at learning languages because he knows several um, throughout his life. Father Wilhelm became his religious mentor. Um, and this was a really significant period in Anne's life. He would remain a devoted Catholic until his death. So as he grew up, An's day job was a coal business that he started at age 25, but his real passion was for Korean independence from Japanese rule. He established private schools um, for Koreans, obviously like schools where they weren't being taught by like Japanese authorities, um, because that would be important. And it's something that I didn't even think about. Like when another country like takes you over, like your children are going to be indoctrinated unless you can find a way to teach them yourself, which is like so scary because in one generation, everything could be forgotten, you know. He also participated in the National Debt Repayment Movement, um, which basically the short version of the story behind that is that Japan gave Korea this massive loan that the Korean Empire was unable to repay, which was by design, um, so that the Korean banks would be subjugated to the Japanese banks. Um, Anyway, the debt repayment movement is exactly what it sounds like. It was an attempt to fundraise to pay back this debt um, and make Korea's banks their own again. It didn't work, um, but it did organize a lot of people and bring them into the Korean independence movement. Um. In 1907, An went to Russia to join the armed resistance against the Japanese Empire. I didn't really look into, like, (laughs) what the fuck is Russia doing over here? (laughs) I'm sure they had some, like, economic interest that, like, made them want to get Japan out of the picture. Um, I don't know what it was, um, but I was just like, Russia, okay, and just kept on (laughs) trucking. Um, He learned fluent Russian there, and he was appointed lieutenant general of a Korean armed resistance group and led several attacks against the Japanese. In October 1909, An was at the Harbin Railway Station when he saw Japanese Prime Minister Ito Hirobumi. An shot him three times and killed him. He also wounded several Japanese executives that were with him. After the shooting, An reportedly waved a Korean flag, shouting in Russian, Korea, hurrah. He was arrested. What? (laughs) That's not confusing at all. In Russian. (laughs) (laughs) Why not in Korean? Not sure. Who's killing who? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know something funny? 
also, which makes me think like he was really not prepared much for this. Um, he didn't know what the prime minister looked like. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason he wounded all the executives with him was because sure. he, he was just making sure. He shot everybody. <laughs> and then he was all flustered and he shouted something in Russian. <laughs> he did his best, okay? And look, he succeeded at his okay, task. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he shot everybody. Um, he shouted in Russian. <laughs> Um, he was arrested, shockingly, and turned over to the Japanese colonial authorities um, when he was quoted as saying, I have ventured to commit a serious crime, offering my life for my country. This is the behavior of a noble-minded patriot. So An's crime and imprisonment turned many church officials against him. He was excommunicated. Um, the bishop forbade anyone to give him last rites. Um, the church did not want to be involved with him. Um, and the reason why is... You kill a guy. You <laughs> kill one guy. You wound several others. And all of a sudden, you're excommunicated. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why is, like, it's obvious. Like, yeah, he killed somebody. But it's also, like, a bit more complicated. Um... Like they want the church wanted their official stance on everything that was going on in Korea and Japan to be neutral, which is obviously like I get it, but also like your people are being massacred and oppressed and raped, and like their country's being taken away. Like it's time to like maybe intervene a little <laughs> at that point. I don't know, that's just my opinion. Um, so the Vatican didn't officially approve of the Japanese colonization of Korea and obviously didn't want Korean Catholics to be mistreated. And the Japanese government was very suspicious of the Korean clergy. So like it had them under surveillance. Um, some Catholic leaders were imprisoned and some Catholics, including clergy, were actively involved in the resistance. So it's hard to, like, make generalizations about the church at this time, except that it seems like the official policy was different from what was actually going on, like, on the ground in Korea. Um, so, An was excommunicated, but despite the bishop's order, his old friend, Father Wilhelm, came to him in prison and gave him last rites. Aww. Sweeties. Um, in prison, An insisted that his captors call him by his baptismal name, Thomas. Um, despite being excommunicated, seemingly abandoned by the church, he retained his Catholic identity. In court, he maintained that he did nothing wrong by assassinating Ito Hirobumi, stating that he had acted as lieutenant general of the resistance, and that actually, he should be treated as a prisoner of war instead of a criminal. Um, he listed 15 offenses Hirobumi had committed for which he deserved to die. Um, these included forcing unequal treaties on Korea, massacring Korean citizens, plundering Korean resources, obstructing education, and breaking the peace of Asia. 
After six trials, he was sentenced to death by the Japanese colonial court. Um, and this was like expected. Um, he, he knew that he was going to get this, but again, it was like with Andrew, it was kind of like, okay, we have to like, Mm-hmm. I read that his captors were pretty sympathetic to him. Like the guys who were, you know, like opening and closing his cell every day. Like they liked him. And um they uh they let him do like little hobbies while he was in prison. Like he started doing calligraphy. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Said like milking snakes. Like milking snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Burning shoes, getting <laughs> drunk, all the, stuff. <laughs> all the usual hobbies, the main three hobbies, <laughs> milking snakes, <laughs> burning shoes, and getting drunk. <laughs> what the big three. <laughs> oh, man, that got me. Um... But they, like, they let him do calligraphy, and it turned out he was really good at it. And then um, a bunch of the soldiers, or the, like, prison guards or whatever, um, would, like, commission calligraphy works from him, like, while he was there. And he would, you know, sign them, and, like, they're floating around places, like, you can find them with his, like, he would put his handprint as a signature, Um but uh, one of his fingers was cut off, like the tip was cut off. So that's how it's like recognizable um, because he had cut off the finger um, with like some of his uh, Korean resistance comrades um, in a blood pact that he was going to kill the prime minister. So it's like layers of stuff that's like all in one handprint, which I think is super cool. The fact that um, he cut off part of his finger though and then didn't know who the man was he's like well i've come this far i've <laughs> lost part of my finger i might as well just shoot everybody. he's like i'll kill him i don't know what he looks like but i'll kill him <laughs> i was super serious about it but not that serious the confidence is insane actually <laughs> <laughs> so he was sentenced to death and he had expected it he requested to be executed as a prisoner of war by firing squad. Um, but instead, he was hanged as a common criminal on March 26, 1910. His grave was never found. Um, I think it, I think I read that in court before he was sentenced, or when he was sentenced, he um, had asked for his body to be sent back to Korea, to his hometown, I think, but obviously that never happened. Um, and there have been, like, um, attempts to recover it, and it's still never been found. Am's excommunication was posthumously lifted in 1993, um, he is, of course, a Korean national hero, but he's also a Catholic hero. He became a symbol of the church's resistance to Japanese colonial rule, just as much as the Korean resistance in general. And I think it's cool how looking at an entire century of history pretty broadly can actually show this picture of resistance to oppressive hierarchy. Of course, you could call the church just another form of oppressive hierarchy. <laughs> And uh, believe you me, I would be on your side. 
Um, but if you look at these two sort of these men that the country holds up as heroes, they're both technically criminals. They're both revolutionaries. They worked in secret and they are as much symbols of the Korean national identity as they are of their faith. Um, today, Christianity is the largest religion in South Korea. In North Korea, it is officially suppressed, but in South Korea, it has exploded in popularity in recent years. One reason why that might be is probably because of its blending of traditional Confucian customs with the Catholic customs. Um, the church has decided to be A-OK with Korean Catholics practicing <laughs> ancestral rites and observing Confucian philosophies. Um, we saw that in Brazil, too. Um, it's also true in most um, Asian countries that have Catholics in them, like the Philippines, for example. Um, and I guess the most recent update is that Pope Francis visited South Korea in 2014 when he beatified 124 more Korean martyrs. So it's like, I mean, that's the end of my story, but like, <laughs> I always come back to like, <laughs> one thing that Pope John Paul said about Korea when like back in the 80s when he canonized all those people was like oh now Korea boasts like such a large number of saints it's like yeah they're dead people they're people that were killed because this religion forced its way in there when nobody <laughs> really wanted it <laughs> Look at all these martyrs. <laughs> right. It's like you understand that that was bad. <laughs> you understand yes. that that's like human tragedy. <laughs> weird flex, but okay. <laughs> yes, weird flex, but okay. So yeah, Korea has a bunch of saints. They're all dead. They were slaughtered. <laughs> like, <laughs> hooray. Not a competition they wanted to win. <laughs> Korea, hurrah. Um, but like, honestly, I was like very, um, I was like very proud of those two guys, honestly. Mm -hmm. I was like, they're both like pretty cool. And I like how, um, they're kind of on similar levels, even though they were really different. Um, and I was like, I want to talk about both of them. And both of the source materials were like pretty slim. So I was like, I'm going to just shove them together. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my story I like it I like Good. knowing both of them I like that I got to see kind of like the beginning of the Joseon dynasty and the end because I had no idea what the end of it looked like at all right I mean I don't know officially how it ended did it become did... I, don't uh, know. I don't know let me not they're... guess they're replaced by a republic or something I forget I don't remember that's what they're I was going to say something. yeah um but to to go from, you know, like, consorts and kings and queens to, we have railroad cars now. Mm -hmm. And we're shooting people on them. You <laughs> better believe have, it. We have pistols. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we are firing them. <laughs> Indiscriminately. <Big> <laughs> <laughs> in a very irresponsible way. 
<laughs> no one will ever know it wasn't my intention that I did not study his photo closely. <laughs> well, he admitted it in his autobiography, <laughs> which honestly I was like, respect. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so it's embarrassing. Like was, it's like I wasn't trying to kill that many people. <laughs> I just was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people on tiktok overshare and people in yes. the comments are like you know like let's bring back secrets <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened to secrets <laughs> but i respect him i respect that he admitted it <laughs> the fact that he wanted to get shot by a firing squad he's like, like please is a point of pride this is a matter of honor. Well, it was. It was like, was yeah. Cheated. The important prisoners, the political prisoners, would be shot. And so he was like, well, let me be shot then. That's my right. And they were like, nope, we're going to yeah. hang you. When you're a kid, it's like, would I ever have to make that argument in my life? <laughs> like, please shoot me. Don't <laughs> hang me. I mean, come on, I would much rather be shot than hanged. Like, get it over with. Did you know that, like, in a firing squad, it's only actually one guy whose gun is loaded and nobody knows who it is? No, that's bizarre. I thought they just got, like, torn to shreds. I mean, I don't think so. And this might not be true of everywhere all the time. This might be, like, a specific thing that I'm, like, applying to, like, every firing squad but I think it's one guy that has a loaded gun and everybody else has blanks and none of the soldiers know who's actually killing the person. Otherwise, it's like... What happens if he misses? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a machine gun. So, like, nowadays, it's like a machine gun. So, like, he's not going to miss. If, even if he misses one, he'll get the other 45 shots, you know? Yeah. So funny to imagine they have like rifles though with one shot, and he's the one guy who misses. <laughs> Everybody looks at him. They're like, God damn it. Now we have to do it again. Do Jacob. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's shuffle the guns. Right, shuffle them again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked up. It is fucked up. <laughs> Gets me through the day. Mm hmm. That was good. I feel like this is a short episode. Yes, but informative. Yeah, we saw it all, really. We did the whole tour. Yeah, we saw a couple hundred years. Yeah, real quick. Mm-hmm. Flew by. Like it was like experience. that scene in Futurama when the professor's in the time machine and all of human civilization is rising and falling. He's just, like, reading a magazine. He's like, okay, wait for it to go around again. (laughs) Anyway, do you have any announcements? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so either. What what do they want from us, really? What else is there to say? I don't know. Tell me what you want from me. I'm I'm trying really hard, and I don't (laughs) think I'm doing my best. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what you want from us with very clear instructions. Please. Also Venmo us. Yeah. Send us some money. Yeah. We're poor. We're so poor. We get our we have to get our groceries from a van. Yeah. Sarah could be kidnapped. 
<laughs> Any day now. You might check out this podcast next time and Sarah's just gone. She trusted the wrong stranger in the wrong van with the wrong and then you Then you'll have to do two parts. You'll have to do the saint part and the witch part. <laughs> <laughs> what if you just carried on as if everything was usual? Like I was kidnapped and you were like, okay, well, I guess it's time to do the podcast. <laughs> I would come back and I would actually be like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> you could have stopped. Like, I would have understood. Why are there like 20 more episodes? <laughs> You're like insanely productive. <laughs> you go back to like not just like two every two weeks but you're like putting them out at, at once a week like every single Thursday <laughs> it makes me look like super bad <laughs> like I never did my job <laughs> I would haunt you yes you would yeah anyway We will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. You know how to get in touch with us. It's in the episode description. And guess what? We love you so much. I wouldn't (laughs) go that far. Liz doesn't. (laughs) Guess what? I love you so much. And thanks be to God. Blessed be. Blessed be.